right, good morning, beloved. Great to see everyone here today. What an encouragement. I want to invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, as we continue in our series, Growing in Grace. This morning we'll be covering verses 12 through 15. And uh, let me begin by first reading this wonderful text, and then we'll look at why Peter wrote it. So we are in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Here now is the reading of God's living and infallible word. Peter writes, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Now, um... As I've mentioned throughout our study of this great second epistle, Peter lays stress on the word knowledge, epigenosis. And knowledge is the safeguard against false teachers and their destructive heresies. And really the heart of this letter is found in the second chapter in which he describes these false teachers directly But he surrounds that in chapters 1 and 3 with the discussion and the importance of knowledge. If we are to defend ourselves against false doctrine and destructive heresies, we are going to have a need to have a right, rightful knowledge. In fact, it's reminiscent of the words of the great prophet Hosea who said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If we are successfully to survive the onslaught of these um, seducing spirits through hypocritical, lying, deceiving, false teachers, we must have this right knowledge, this true knowledge. We must know what we believe. It's shocking how many people profess to know Christ and they don't know what they believe. In fact, in this wonderful epistle, there are three primary things that Peter says we all need to know. We all need to know our salvation, number one. We all need to know that we're saved. And sadly, for many professing Christians, the first one is already strike one. I don't know if I am saved. Is there any way of truly knowing for sure that I am saved. I just don't know. And we covered that in detail in the first 11 verses of First Peter. We also need to know the scripture. And he's going to get into that starting next week in our lesson in verse 16. But there's a little bit of a theme, a little undercurrent of that in this teaching as well. But it really starts in verse 16 with some incredible verses that we'll end this chapter on next week. 
And then finally, in chapter 3, we must know our sanctification. We must know that we are set apart, being sanctified for the glory of God. Those who know that they are saved, those who know their scripture, those who know their sanctification, are then protected against the onslaught of false teachers and their false deceptions. And again, it's not so much your intellectual knowledge that's going to help you spot the deceivers, but it's through a true, full, rich, personal, saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that Peter has finished covering our salvation, he begins to, to turn towards knowing Scripture. But before he does, Peter digresses for a couple of verses here. And really, he lets us peer into his pastoral heart as he drops in a statement about the importance of reminding people of these essential truths. Here we get an insight into what's really motivating the apostle Peter. This is what the Spirit is moving Peter to address. And he speaks about his ministry and four things flow out of this text that you'll see these listed in your bulletin notes. He reveals the urgency of his ministry, the kindness of his ministry, the faithfulness of his ministry, and the imminence of his ministry. In verses 12 to 15, we see the affectionate heart of a true shepherd of God and for his people. And like any good teacher, Peter realizes one very important fact, and that is this. People tend to forget what you tell them. In fact, research has shown that within just one hour after hearing a spoken message, maybe from a pulpit like this, people will forget up to 90% of what you said. And certainly, God knew that when he said back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, don't forget me. Over and over again, don't forget the Lord he says in Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And this is how they will remember. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontals on your forehead, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Down in verse 12, he continues, and he says, Watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 Verse 18, Scripture says, You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, God told His people, You shall remember all the ways in which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness. Or in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 19, 
we read, It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Isaiah, the prophet, speaking in indicting Israel in Isaiah chapter 17, verse 10, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. And then similarly in Isaiah 51, verse 13, he says, You have forgotten the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And then, really, in one of the saddest statements in the Psalms, the psalmist in Psalm 88, verse 12, calls Israel the land of forgetfulness. Well, they remembered Egypt. They remembered Pharaoh. But they forgot the one true God. And so why is it that we always tend to forget the very things that we want to remember? And conversely, we find it almost impossible to forget the things we like to forget. How about those things that come back and just keep reminding and keep reminding you said, I'd like to forget that. I would su suggest, especially after my week of study, it is not mere coincidence this all happens, but rather is the result of the fall. It is the accursed element of sin before the fall, Adam doesn't have to battle with remembrance. He's walking with God. He doesn't have to remember God. He's walking with God. Sin stands between us and that which is best and pure for God's people. And nowhere does it show itself more than in this particular matter of remembrance. Jesus, of course, said to his disciples in John 15, 20, Remember the word which I have said to you. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. And then when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Jude wrote to his readers in verse 17, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter, right here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder so any teacher knows that we have a tendency to forget and it's one of the reasons why each week i'm going to spend time visiting and revisiting the themes that we have covered the week before and why i'm an expositorial preacher that's why james once says that we must also be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves James says, don't be like a man who intently looks at his face in the mirror, but once he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. 
Don't be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, for he will be blessed in his doing. Our memory is something that needs to be constantly roused and stimulated with God's word. We must continually be renewing our minds to the perfect will of God. Proverbs 2 talks about making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, to seek it like silver and to search for it as hidden treasures. All of us need to be a part of the ministry of remembrance. Not only through our own personal study and in God's word, but also in our fellowship with one another. In Hebrews 10, verse 25 says the following, not forsaking our own assembly together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So before we forget anything else, let's turn our attention now to the text. (laughs) And I want you to first notice the sense of urgency in Peter's ministry. The sense of urgency in his ministry. Notice just the beginning, the first half of verse 12. Peter writes, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. And we'll stop right there for a moment. So once again here, Peter starts with the word therefore, and he does this because he wants us to refer back to what he's been discussing in verses 1 through 11. Peter is saying, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. What? things, Peter, the things you need to be reminded of in verses 1 through 11. (laughs) Like this, like precious faith you received by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded of these things. You need to be reminded of the grace and peace that he's multiplied you in verse 2 in the true knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He doesn't want you to forget that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That God has called us by his own glory and excellence. That he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world. Verses 1 through 4 focused on the greatness of our salvation. And then he began to talk about how we experience the assurance of that salvation. In verse 5 he says, Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, verse 8, and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. See, the fruit you produce in your life is the evidence of your salvation. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16, You will know them by their fruits. You're not trusting in a a date written on the first page of your Bible or some certificate you receive from a pastor or a membership card from a church. You want to know you're saved. You're certain because you are useful and you are fruitful for the kingdom of God. 
It's tangible. And I'll tell you, that is a wonderful confidence every believer should possess. And then Peter gives us an incredible promise at the end of verse 10. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And he means spiritually. You will never stumble. You will never stumble into doubt and despair, uh, a, dep a spiritual depression and grief, a, a fear about your spiritual condition. You will never stumble. You will always have assurance. How? Because you're calling an election. Are sure. And so this is Peter's pastoral heart being revealed to us here in verse 12. The themes of salvation and assurance of that salvation are so crucial to him. Therefore, he says in verse 12, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. That, that's the urgency of Peter's heart. You need to know these truths before the wolves and, and sheep's clothing appear in your midst and try to steal your assurance. And by the way, would you notice also in verse 12, there's a, a future tense here. See how he says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you. I think that here the Holy Spirit is giving Peter some, some future insight in that, yes, he's able to remind them whenever they read this letter. But also, he's saying, he will always be ready to remind you. Right? Think about it. Anytime you open up 2 Peter in your home, anytime 2 Peter is being opened up and preached from the pulpit, Peter is reminding us of these things. This is his final will and testament to God's people. If you hear anything from me, let it be of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and this glorious salvation, and this blessed assurance that he has given to us. You know, if we were to ask Peter, aren't these gospel truths just mere, so basic to our Christian faith? I suspect Peter would probably shudder at our use of the word mere as it would reveal our unhealthy familiarity and complacency with these glorious foundational truths. You know, every week we gather together, we sing the same gospel praises to our Lord Jesus Christ for going to the cross, for dying for our sins, for being buried in the tomb, three day, days later rising again. We sing the same old truths over and over. Why? Because Paul said these gospel truths are of first importance. You've got to get that part right. And see, false prophets and false teachers seek to move their victims on from these, oh, basic truths. They seek to replace them, or perhaps in our world today, by progressing from them. Progressing on from these central truths. In other words, they preach a different gospel. Today, false teachers want to teach you three of these steps for a better life now. But Peter says, don't be deceived by these things. I will always be ready to remind you of these things. And Peter was no different than any of the other writers of Scripture. For example, Paul knew that every time he wrote 
he wasn't necessarily saying something new, but was reminding them of what has already been said. We see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, for example, he wrote, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. How many times did we see him say, rejoice in the book of Philippians? To write the same things again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Paul had the same thing in mind that Peter had, repetition for the sake of safeguards. And uh, even though your conscious mind says, uh, you know, yeah, I've heard that before, somehow it stacks another brick onto the subconscious mind and it begins to build this strong, fortified foundation through repetition. And the more you read, the more you hear biblical truth, and the more it goes from a head knowledge down to a heart knowledge. And it's almost as if the first time that you hear the truth, it's like a nail being set into the wood. And then after it's been hit two and three and four times as you hear it, it's being pounded into the, na- into the wood until it's flush. So number one, we see the sense of urgency in Peter's ministry to remind them, to remind them. We all need these reminders. Number two, we see the kindness of Peter's ministry. And, and really, we've already started to, to see this. But here, Peter shows us the proper ministering spirit. You can see in Peter a a spirit of gentleness and meekness as he reminds the church of these truths. He's not putting them down. Notice once again in verse 12, he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And here we see no longer prideful, arrogant disciple. Peter, through the spirit of Christ, has been humbled to that of a servant. You can tell Peter was a a kind shepherd who understood and and exhibited such compassion for the beloved of God. There's a sweetness you can sense as he says to his people, I know you already know these things as you have been established in the truth. I, I know they are present with you but still, I remind you of them. That's the spirit we see here. He he wants to leave no impression on them that he doesn't believe in their devotion to Christ. There isn't any disdain here, only love. He is the one you remember who said you're not to lord over the flock. And even though he knows about forgetfulness, there's a graciousness in his spirit. And he says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present to you, yet I I will still remind you of these things. And what Peter says here in verse 12 is similar to what Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 10. When Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. And Paul, as he's writing to the Romans here and is laying out the gospel from one end to the other. He just stops here in verse 8 and he's saying, I just want you to know that I realize this truth is near you. I know it's in your mouth. I know it's near to your heart. And there he's actually quoting uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he's saying, this isn't something new to you. I know it's in your heart already. I know you possess this truth. 
And that's what Peter is saying in our text. I know you already know these truths and have been established in the truth which is present with you. In um, John's second epistle in verse 2, he says that the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. So, when you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, all the disciples recognize the truth is in you and it remains with you forever. And so, Peter's saying, I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not questioning your faith. I'm not questioning your devotion to Christ. I'm just saying as your pastor and as someone who loves you dearly that I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth. So we see the kindness in Peter's ministry. But next is number three and, and Peter also understood the faithfulness of ministry. The faithfulness. Oops, I was behind one I guess. And um, I can really identify with Peter here, even though I can see most who attend here are established in the truth. There is a responsibility upon me to faithfully preach the truth, reminding you of these things, number one. A preacher can just never assume everyone he is preaching to saved. In fact, he needs to assume the opposite. Therefore, he must always faithfully return to these biblical truths, the doctrine of scripture and Peter articulates this in verse 13 he says I consider it right or righteous as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder apostle Peter's life is a cautionary tale isn't it here's a man who lived in closer and more constant proximity to the divine truth than probably any other man who's ever lived. Think about it. Not only was he included in the 12, but he was included among the inner three, Peter, James, and John, who were the most intimate with the Lord. And Peter must have felt the closeness to him for whilst what he said, the things he did with such um, presumption. He walked with Jesus for all those years, having heard everything he taught, having seen all the miracles that he did, having experienced everything in the life and in ministry of Jesus Christ. He was there. So many things, in fact, that if they were written in detail, John's Gospel says, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Peter experienced all of that truth and was reminded of it again and again and again and again. Yet, he and his fellow apostles still did not fully understand or appreciate that truth. Even at the end of Christ's earthly ministry, Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know who I am? And then fast forward to the end of that week. The week of his passion. Jesus is betrayed by Judas in the garden and, and he's surrounded by a Roman court and the temple guardsmen. And, and then we're told in Luke twenty two fifty four they seized Jesus and led him away. But there's Peter. He's still following Jesus, but it says he followed him at a distance. 
He wasn't quite ready to get too close to the Lord. Now, after all of that firsthand exposure to the truth, what does Peter do in time of trial? Well, let me remind you, Luke 22, verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing Peter as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, this man was also with him. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him. He too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. Now he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly you see peter learned firsthand that even though believers are grounded in the truth they still need constant shepherding from wandering into sin the biblical shepherd exhibits faithfulness in teaching the people god has provided him it isn't just that loyal instruction that is beneficial helpful and strengthening though it is but beyond the benefits he says in verse 3 I consider it right it's the right thing to do as a shepherd Peter's devotion as a shepherd made him faithful to God's people and because he was loyal to his Lord in doing what was right and then he adds as long as I am in this earthly dwelling the word Earthly dwelling here means exactly what the NIV translates it, a tent. As long as I'm in this tent. Another way of looking at our earthly bodies, and he's probably borrowing a picture of God's people from early on in the Old Testament who lived as pilgrims in tents as they had no permanent dwelling place, only temporary places where they could unfold their tent, stay for a while, and then fold it back up and moved on really a beautiful way to see the body just a temporary living quarter for the soul to live in and someday it will be folded up and your soul will move on leaving that tent behind but Peter says as long as I'm in this tent I consider it right to stir you up by way of reminder and he was saying it's a it's a lifelong calling it's right for me to do this until I leave my tent and I really feel this way in my own heart I'll be doing this as long as the good Lord allows me to until I leave this tent or until you drag me out of here. <laughs> I can't imagine retiring from your calling. And uh, what was he going to be doing as long as he lived? He was going to stir you up by way of reminder. That means he's to awaken you out of a sleep, a, a slumber, arouse you from your fatigue, quicken you. Believers can become sleepy and drowsy, failing to 
be on the alert. Peter was probably thinking back to the graphic illustration of his own life. When Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus in Gethsemane and his soul, the Lord's, was overwhelmed with so much sorrow, he asked the closest three friends to stay and to watch over him. Going a little bit further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed to the Father. And in the most crucial time in the life of the Messiah, all he wanted them to do was to watch over him and pray. What did they do? They all fell asleep. It was too much. And there's a sense in which every preacher knows that his responsibility is to stimulate you, to awaken you in God's truth, to awaken the church from its spiritual drowsiness. But how do you do that? Verse 13 says, by way of reminder. Way of reminder. Faithful preacher will just keep reminding you about the same old foundational truths. Faithful teachers don't come up with some new entertainment ploy to keep people interested. They just need to continue on reminding people of that same old gospel truth you heard from the beginning. It never ceased to be good news. We need the gospel applied to our hearts every single day. And Peter understood ministry. He understood the urgency of ministry, the kindness of ministry, the faithfulness of ministry. And then lastly, he understood the imminence of, of his ministry. Notice what he says in verse 14. This is really incredible. He writes, Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now what does he mean by that? He's talking about his imminent death, the laying aside of his earthly tent. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or did you forget it? Paul says, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan. You ever bend over to do your shoelaces? Young ones, as you get older, you start to go, mm, start making all these noises. As you get older, we start to groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Paul understood that, that the physical body is a tent and we long for that permanent house. So Peter says, I know that my death is imminent, but what does that word imminent mean? Well, this is a very significant word that I think it carries a real rich meaning for Peter. Yes, it means soon and, and close, and he is saying my death is, is coming soon. Peter, at this time that he's writing the letters, probably in his 60s, possibly in his 70s, and for him to say my death will be soon is a, is a very reasonable thing to say. He's outlived most people of his age. But he's implying something else here. Notice what he says at the end of verse 14, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Does he mean that Jesus made clear to him when he was going to die? Ah, Exactly. You say, well, when did that happen? Turn back to John's gospel. We'll test your memory again. We spent a year and a half in John's gospel. John chapter 21. It's the final chapter of John's gospel. Jesus is uh, talking to Peter, restoring him, asking him if he loves him, telling him to tend my lambs and shepherd my sheep and, and feed my sheep. 
and he's calling him and he's commissioning him, setting him apart for ministry. Then in verse 18, Jesus tells him about his death. And by the way, this is about 37 years earlier, if my math is right. Listen to what Jesus said to him way back then when he was a much younger man. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. In other words, you did whatever you wanted. You controlled your own life. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. What's he mean there? You will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you. It means someone else will, will bind you, will, will tie your hands and bring you where you do not wish to go. But, but what's he talking about? John tells us in verse 19. Now this, he, Jesus, said, signifying, but what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God. What kind of death was it? Well, that phrase, you stretch out your hands, is used in sources outside the Bible to speak of crucifixion. Besides, the hands were outstretched, then tied to the wood, fastened, and then nailed to the cross. Jesus was telling Peter, you're young now, but when you get older, you're going to be tied and taken where you do not want to go. And Jesus here is predicting Peter's crucifixion nearly 40 years before it happened. Think about that. This dear apostle then, for nearly 40 years, had to live knowing that when he got older, he was going to die a horrific death by crucifixion. That would be something to live with, wouldn't it? For 40 years? And having seen it with his own eyes as the Roman roads during this time were lined both ways with men being crucified, the most excruciating death imaginable. And so if you want to know the test of Peter's recommissioning, if he was ever restored in right standing, if you ever want to know whether he was a transformed man of God, then compare his denial with living a life for nearly 40 years long, knowing that at any moment his life could be swiftly brought to an end by execution and yet still remain faithful. So there was an imminence to Peter's ministry. The clock was ticking. He just didn't know exactly when. And then in verse 15, Peter says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. This is really incredible. Peter's saying here, and I am also being diligent that I leave all these things for you so that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to bring all these things to mind. Have you figured out yet what he's talking about? He's talking about Scripture. Why? Because 2,000 years later, you and I can pick up a Bible at any time and we can recall what was on Peter's heart 
2,000 years later. Isn't it wonderful to realize that you and I, in studying 2 Peter, are fulfilling Peter's desires? This is exactly what he wanted to happen. And the closer he got to the end, the faster he ran. He didn't slow down toward the end. He sped up. And so Peter said, I will continue to be diligent. I will continue to remind you of these things. And as long as I'm in this earthly tent, I'm going to do it in such a way that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. And see how he uses the word here, departure? It's actually the word exodus. And he uses it here to refer to his death because the word indicates the leaving from one place to go to another. He's saying, uh, after I leave this foreign land, I'm going to the promised land in my own private exodus. And after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. He's not concerned with whether or not we remember him. He's concerned that we remember the person of Christ who he always pointed to. And it wasn't long after this that he experienced that great exodus. Church tradition tells us Peter was crucified just as Jesus had predicted that he would be. Before he was crucified, though, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. It is said that during his wife's crucifixion, he stood at the foot of her cross, continually encouraging her with, the, with these words, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember And again, tradition tells us that after she died, Peter had his arms stretched out also. Only he insisted that he was not worthy enough to be crucified as his Lord was, and he insisted he be crucified, which is what they did. Peter was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to feed my sheep. He understood the urgency of ministry, the kindness, the faithfulness, and the imminence of his ministry. This epistle is really his last legacy, his final words, and here we are today fulfilling his hope as we study and open up the pages of 2 Peter together, growing in grace so that we too might have epigenosis, the true, rich, intimate communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would not be deceived by the false teachers of our own day and time. If you are in need of prayer this morning, uh, we have men and women down front here who would be blessed to pray with you. And you are welcome to come forward as we stand and sing, Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. Lord bless you.